Support for the Most Accurate Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TMAP. You look good where you go, men follow. Came to have a good time. Don't you want to live right? Make the most of this night. Shake the girls out, lose that body. Better not fix your nails, better let your head down. Can't dance in the corner by yourself. You two don't need a room, don't need dancing shoes. And you better not watch your mouth. Ain't nobody gonna judge you. Hello and welcome to 44 is the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is John Paulson. I am once again joined by a guest who I'll introduce in a minute. Uh, Anthony and I will have another podcast come out on Friday, uh, but we have a midweek guest, which I'm excited about once again to have on the pod, friend of the pod, I would say. Um, the music today uh, was Leo the Kind. The name of the song is Ain't Nobody Gonna Judge, and gun is just G-O-N with an apostrophe, so that's just very unfamiliar spelling for me, but it's a great song. It came out a few weeks ago, and I'll put it on the Most Accurate Podcast playlist, which you can find on Spotify and in the show notes. So to our guest, um, he's he's the Fantasy Sports Writers Association president. It's, this, is, this is going on your third or fourth term here. Uh, he was 2009's Fantasy Pro's Most Accurate Expert. I love mentioning that. Because I dethroned him in 2010, and he's upset like, about it. Because I peaked a decade ago is basically what it says. <laughs> but you also did very well. I saw in uh, 2019's draft rankings at Fantasy Pro, so congratulations there. This is Andy Barons of Yahoo Fantasy. Andy, welcome to the podcast. It is it is good to be here. The kind of ironic music uh, today, since I am here to judge, uh, is <laughs> I am going to judge. That's what I'm here for. You're, you're here to judge. Uh, we're going to talk off-season narratives, burning questions that uh, I basically looked through my rankings and I, I just picked a lot of the things that I thought Andy might have uh, a take on. Uh, he and I probably have combined for now 50 years of fantasy football experience. I started playing <laughs> in, the, in college. It was 94. Um, I was in a league with Greg Gard, the current head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. It was in actually an auction league too. We were ahead of our time. So, did you beat him? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> when did you start playing fantasy, Andy? Um, my the first league I actually played was in college, and it was a it was just stupid. Like we didn't know how to build it exactly, and a couple of buddies put together a fantasy football league that literally involved every position on offense. Um, <laughs> like we drafted linemen and tried to come i i forget what kind of scoring system they tried to invent that would reflect the the quality of the line that the guy was it was stupid it was really stupid and we drafted a bunch of defensive players too and i i think that that draft took like six hours and we took all these breaks and 
nobody had a nobody had a draft guide that uh, accommodated the full scope of the league and then we dropped out the next year because it was impossible to manage and then then i picked it up again uh early 90s at uh at, at my first uh at my first like legit job out of school workplace league and actually i i was great in that league and would all i've and I feel like the reason that I am a fantasy analyst today is because those first four seasons in my in my work league, I had great teams, made it to the Super Bowl, and lost every time. Um, and I would I would sometimes lose in just shocking, heartbreaking fashion. There was a there was a week sixteen Monday night loss where I went into the game. I think it was like Vikings and Niners, and I went into the game. I don't know, 70 points ahead, 65 points ahead. And um, that guy was playing Vip Sandir. Vip was starting Steve Young and Jerry Rice. And they each had to, like the greatest game in the history of their positions to that point, right? Like uh-huh. like Jerry Rice might've had 300 yards or he had 270 yards or something like that at like three touchdowns. And Steve Young may have accounted for like six touchdowns or something like that. It was an absolute blitzkrieg. I was, I was like talking smack all day at work had won the thing and then uh i almost called in sick the following day because it was just like i just like nobody loses that way so i just kept losing that way and and that made me super obsessed with fantasy generally very interesting and i i that reminded me of my espn online league which is my first online league i don't remember if it was before the the auction league or after but uh you you would pay 19.99 i think (laughs) <laughs> I think that was the the, the charge to play in the league, and the winner got a um, ESPN like leather jacket, like leather with leather sleeves, like a Letterman's jacket. Oh wow! It was black and brown, and I won my league, and so I I got this ESPN leather jacket, and I would wear it out. And <laughs> when I got when I I would wear it out after college, and I would you know convince the girls that I was like the anchor of the West Coast Sports Center or something. <laughs> they all thought it was the coolest jacket. So um, that, how have that, you never worn that to a to an FSBA well, convention? Oh, I mean, it's been through the ringer. It was I mean I, I wore that to the bar. I don't know how many times. It smelled like smoke. It got stains on it. It was I think I sold it on eBay uh, a while back with stains and all. I just couldn't wear it anymore. <laughs> But the, ne- well, the interesting thing about that is that the next year, ESPN switched it to a T-shirt. So they realized they didn't have to give away a good prize at that point. No. People, people would pay the 20 bucks just to be in the league, and you win a T-shirt. Uh, so I, I noticed that the, the, pri- the quality of the prizes dropped off very quickly then. And now, we, now we're back to where we have free leagues and free hosting and all that. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. We come full circle. Um, yeah. I think you and I probably both started playing in the, in the era when you'd just get like an eight page packet from your commissioner every, every Tuesday, right? Like with the results from the prior week, we were looking at uh, USA today for the scores. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was definitely before the automated scoring online. So, okay. We've, we've talked six minutes about fantasy <laughs> football in the eighties and nineties. So let's move on. Uh, let's talk about 2020. We are in a new, uh, new decade. And Tyrod Taylor is still, uh, still going. He's going to be the uh, <laughs> starter for the uh, for the Chargers. And uh, Philip Rivers is out of there. And I'm seeing a lot of discussion about Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Williams to a certain extent, Austin Eckler to a certain extent, but mostly Keenan Allen. You know, going in the fifth round, sometimes into the sixth round. And I'm wondering what you think about about that, given that he was a top six receiver last year. Uh, are people baking in the Tyrod Taylor? passing game too much into this offense or does it seem about right to you 
Yeah, it's funny. I saw this question on your rundown and it made me immediately realize two things. Um, I've, I've, I don't even know how many drafts I've participated into this point between best ball and uh, uh, season long leagues are really starting up now. I, I barely have an investment in chargers. I've, I've attached myself to this offense in almost no way. And the other thing it made me realize is that Given my opinion, like I think Tyrod Taylor is a fine real life quarterback. And and in fact, I would probably prefer to have him as the Bears starter over either of my two options. Um, there are teams around the league where I think Tyrod Taylor would be the, the their better option. Um, but I mean, I don't I don't like him for fantasy purposes. And there's no way that my ranks are correct on all these guys, because <laughs> given my, given my feelings for this offense generally, I, I don't I don't think. Tyrod can support, you know, Austin Eckler as a 90 catch receiver and Hunter Henry as a top 10 tight end and Keenan Allen as a passable wide receiver too. And Mike Williams as a flat, like, I'm just, I got, I got to revisit my ranks on these things because I mean, Tyrod again, perfectly fine real life player. He's never thrown more than 20 touchdown passes in a season. He has never averaged even 220 passing yards in a season. <laughs> like, like, it's, that's just not going to happen. A lot of those, a lot of those short and intermediate passes are probably going to become. Uh, he's probably going to tuck it and run. They're probably going to become rush attempts for Tyrod, and that's part of his sort of low-level fantasy appeal. Um, I, he just hasn't supported very many, no doubt, starting fantasy wide receivers there might be like one year where sammy watkins was a was a thing with tyrod and that's basically it so i i don't think he can feed like multiple guys who have to be started now as for keenan's price specifically he, obviously keenan allen is a wonderful player huge talent um what he does particularly well i don't know if it really suits tyrod taylor um Tyrod is uh, like when when good things happen via Tyrod, they either happen because he runs the ball or they happen because he he likes to go deep. Like a significant percentage of his overall passes are going to be like 20 plus yards downfield, which is not generally where we see Keenan operate. So maybe there's some hope for Mike Williams pulling in six or eight touchdowns. I can imagine Keenan having the sort of year where he finishes with like 75 catches and 900 yards and five touchdowns. And that makes him a wide receiver too, which is where we're drafting him. But that also perfectly, like, unless you do that in like 12 games, you're the sort of player who never wins a week for a fantasy manager. So that that's kind of how I feel about Keenan. Yeah, I would just, uh, you know, if you want to peek behind the curtain of how I look at the, not you, like the, the listeners, Andy, I know you don't want to peek behind any curtains. <laughs> but yeah, I just did a quick and dirty uh estimate of when, once there's quarterback changes like this and you have a Philip Rivers who never runs and you have Tyrod Taylor who do, does run. I, I looked at 2015 and 2016 and Tyrod Taylor's passing game was roughly 26% lower from a fantasy points offered to receiver standpoint than the Chargers passing game under Philip Rivers. So you immediately downgrade the, the receivers and then you wonder how quickly that happens and then are we over, over downgrading. So I just took, you know, Keenan's PPR finish from last year, 261.5, multiply that by 74%. You end up with 194 fantasy points or about what Jamison Crowder scored as last year's yeah. wide receiver 26. So you're getting him into the right area, I think. And um, I think he's really good. And they, they there are ways, I think, that they could throw the ball a little, a little bit more and the offense could be a little bit more designed around 
the past than around Tyrod's legs. I mean, this is a different team. He's been in the system. They have a great receiving core. I actually like Tyrod as a extremely cheap streaming option to start the year. He's mm-hmm. He's got a two top 15 finishes in Buffalo. One was a top 10, top eight finish. Um, doesn't throw interceptions. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see how fast they play and all that. But, um, you know, Keenan in the fifth, sixth is tempting, but I always seem to be going to guys with more upside. And I don't know that that's the right thing to do, but. Um, no, I think that's it. actually the round that we have to start doing it. Like you can, you can think in terms of floor for like the first four or five rounds of your draft, you're getting great players. And then I think you have to veer to, uh, to ceiling. Like you have to start thinking, okay, what if everything goes right for this guy and you got to draft that way? And I, I don't think Keenan Allen is a particularly exciting option. What is Bill O'Brien going to do with David Johnson after that trade and all the flack he took? <laughs> is, is it going to be 400 touch season for, for Johnson if he can handle it? Or what are we looking at? Yeah, I I mean, I I personally think that's what O'Brien would have in mind. I mean, it's it's really difficult to justify this trade. It's a it was a it was a mess of a deal that uh, a number of people uh, labeled uh, among the worst trades in memory almost right away right like there's it's really difficult to justify this and i I think one of the only ways to do it is to make sure that david johnson touches the ball 300 plus times i don't know i don't know that he can make it to 400 because he obviously he hasn't done that uh in in recent years the the one thing that i will say in david johnson's defense is that he was i mean we we forget it because he was so useless after the injuries last year, and, like he couldn't cut, he couldn't, you know, he was, he was obviously, he was hopeless late in the season when Kenyon Drake took over his first six games, um, were fine. He, he was on pace for, like he was averaging a hundred scrimmage yards per week. He was, he was going to score 12 or 13 touchdowns, right? Like they were fine. They weren't necessarily spectacular, but, um, had some nice moments. He was still viable as a receiver and he was on pace to have basically an 800 rushing yard, 800 receiving yard season. Um, and I, I think we have to look at that as the, the, you know, 99th percentile best possible case for his year in 2020. But I, yes, I, the short answer would be that I do believe Bill O'Brien intends to, to run him into the ground. He has to. And then you wonder how long he lasts. Um, maybe it's 16 games, maybe it's 12. And does Duke Johnson finally get a chance to, to run with the job for a few weeks and show that he could be the, the feature back? Um, one note on Johnson, you mentioned the first few games. He was the number five fantasy receiver through five weeks, I believe, prior to the injury. So he was um, producing in Arizona, and that gives me uh, obviously a lot of confidence in Kenyon Drake uh, in Arizona. Yeah. Um, moving on to Tampa. I believe Tom Brady was the number 12 fantasy quarterback last year, and he was throwing to a substandard, I think we can all agree it was a substandard receiving core. Now he has Chris Godwin, he has Mike Evans, he has Rob Gronkowski. Um, I don't know if you want to add O.J. Howard to that list, but he's got him. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, um, another pass-catching backs. Ronald Jones is apparently doing a lot of work in the passing game as well. Um, what do you think? I mean, Brady's going like 11 um, or 12. It just seems like he's being drafted at his floor, but it is hard to move him up ahead against uh, ahead of some of these guys that that run the ball and have that high floor with the with the rushing. But are people sleeping on Tom Brady a little bit? Yeah, the uh, as you say, the the only way that he uh, manages to finish alongside, you know, there's like that top uh, for some people it's seven, for me maybe it's six quarterbacks, all of whom have some rushing upside. All of whom are going to, you know, plunge into the end zone a few times. The the only way that uh, a p- 
pocket passer quarterback is going to finish with those guys as if they throw for like 5,200 yards. And I mean, you love Brady's weapons, but he's, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't exactly vintage Tom Brady last season. I didn't think he was particularly great at any level of the field. Really. I mean, he's 43, like nobody's ever been good at 43. Nobody's ever been good at this position or really any other except maybe kicker um, at at this age. So there's we're asking we're asking a lot of Tom Brady. Like do, I, I don't he's also not going to throw all the sort of YOLO balls that uh, Jameis Winston would just lob up there into into coverage just to see what happened, right? Like so I I don't think he delivers five thousand yards. Um, a, a a constant deep strike vertical offense is not necessarily playing to Brady's uh, skills at this stage of his career, but can he, can he finish, you know, can he play 15 games and finish with 4,500 yards or 4,400 yards um, and, and push 30 touchdowns in this offense? Yeah, I, I certainly can. That's, that's well within the range of possibilities and that probably slots him eight to eight to 10 among, Mm -hmm. among the quarterbacks with basically no rushing yards. So uh, maybe we're underdrafting him a little bit, but that's just really a reflection of the, the stupid depth at quarterback. Yeah. And and thinking of Tom Brady, I always wanted to see him in a race with uh, Peyton Manning. (laughs) That would be be amazing. Um, I actually want to pull up their 40, yard scores now for your dash scores and see who is actually faster i feel like there's a decent number of fantasy experts that could beat both of them in a foot race like... <laughs> i think you're right they're both extremely slow um i saw some aaron jones aaron jones uh, slander last night on twitter and i'm just <laughs> tired of it i went on a little rant my wife said are you coming to bed and i was like yeah i'll be there in a minute i got it. somebody's wrong on the internet um, <laughs> i like i i'm I'm not ranking Aaron Jones, you know, RB2 like he finished last year. And I think his price right now is in the RB10 to RB14 range, depending on where you're drafting. And getting him in the mid-second round, I think it's really, really good value there. I think he's probably more of a turn guy. Um, I do understand the reservation about A.J. Dillon coming in and that his touchdowns are going to regress. But I think that's all been uh, baked into his current uh, price. Um He's just a really good running back. He's probably their best player along with Devontae Adams at this point. Um, what, especially on offense. So what What do you make of Jones in this this current ADP in the RB10, like high-end uh, RB2, low-end RB1 sort of turn, you know, early, middle, middle, second round value for Jones right now? Yeah, that that's exactly where I've got him. I think he's I think he's well priced. I think he's a really good player. Um, obviously, somewhere down the line, AJ Dillon gets a bunch of touches, uh, but Aaron Jones is a really good player, and he might be their I don't know he might be their second best receiver right now. Um, yeah, he's super versatile, and I I see no like I I get AJ Dillon as a plausible you know guy that they lean on eventually in goal to go situations, but uh, I mean. Aaron Jones crushed it last year. I don't, I, you know, the, the reason we all downgrade him is that nobody thinks he's going to be good for 19 touchdowns or whatever it was in, in 2019. That seems pretty unlikely, but um, 12 is in play <laughs> in, a, in a healthy season, right? Like they, w- w- we know that for whatever reason, they've decided that they're going to be a, a, a heavy ground-based uh, uh, attack. It obviously it worked for him spectacularly last year. Uh, took him to the NFC title game, and I, like I, the second round is great. I'm happy to take Aaron Jones there. I've I've landed him a couple times. I don't even like the Packers. I hate the Packers. I actively aggressively hate the Packers, and I've landed Aaron Jones a few times. 
Um, Dylan, I think, is probably more of a threat to Jamal Williams, especially at the start totally. of the season. I mean, yeah. He does have some really nice gams. I mean, those legs are <laughs> impressive. Um, let's move on to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. There was a, obviously a big discussion about him a couple weeks ago, but I want to get your take on it. Uh, what are you expecting from him in September, October? Are we immediately into Kareem Hunt-type touches for him uh, as a rookie, or do you think they're going to be more like the 13 to 15 with some of the other backs, you know, mixing in for a fairly large role. Man, I have referenced so many times that draft board that you published on Twitter where he went number one overall. Um, I like, I, I, you know, tip of the tip of the cap to that, <laughs> to that drafter. Like, obviously I couldn't do it, but I, but I do think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is somebody who should, who could plausibly go in the, in the middle of the first round. And I'm fine with it. I don't, I don't bat an eye at that. Um, I, I think he's a, I think he's a, a hyper talented back. He wasn't, you know, in my view, he wasn't DeAndre Swift. That was that was probably my favorite uh, runner coming into the draft. And obviously, Jonathan Taylor has some skills that nobody else has. But um, Edwards Hilaire is a, you know, all situation, all down back, now tied to just an absolute Death Star offense. And I think the key thing here is that, you know, like we forget when Damian Williams single-handedly carried people to fantasy titles in December of 2018, he was literally averaging 15 touches per game. That's all he was getting. He was getting 15 touches per game. Um, that's all it takes. If they're in the right area of the field in that offense, you don't you don't need to be a 25-touch player. Um, I, I do think he steps in as probably somebody who's seeing 18 to 22 touches almost immediately. There's in my view, there's nobody else on that roster that uh, rivals him. He's like he's like the one rookie right now that we consistently hear is you know running with the running with the varsity offense. I, I like mm-hmm. I feel great about him. Um, he can step in and be a, a a critical piece of a great passing game right away. I I love him. I would note that I think the the preseason has already indicated that Andy Reid's going to treat him more like Kareem Hunt than he is Brian Westbrook or LaShawn McCoy, who both were limited in their second and first seasons, respectively. They saw 10 and 12 um, touches, uh, respectively, as a second-year player and a rookie player. And then Kareem Hunt, 20.3 touches per game as a rookie. So I think everybody points to that Hunt workload and assumes that that's Andy Reid. Um, but I went back and looked at the, his entire career and just didn't see a whole lot of activity for rookie running backs. But I think that was probably the case. You know, a fact the factoring in there is that they did not have established vets on the roster. Um, McCoy was dealing with Westbrook. Westbrook was dealing with uh, Deuce Staley and Coral Buckhalter. So um, I think you're probably right. I think we're probably looking at a, a heavy workload for Edwards Hilaire, and it's great to hear just consistent positive buzz yeah. Uh, out of camp. You I mean if you hear anything negative at this time of year, it's when you really your ears really perk up. But the, the constant buzz, I think, is, and I think middle of the, you know, sixth seventh pick PPR makes a lot of sense. Um, I have a problem with this guy's ADP. Uh, his name is Mark Ingram, and I don't know why he's going maybe half a round ahead of J.K. Dobbins. Yeah. Um, what do you after what he did last year. I mean, I just think he was super productive and they're not going to just put him out to pasture uh, because they drafted the rookie. What do you, what do you make of Ingram as a value in the fifth round? Sometimes going going later. Yeah. You've, you've jumped on a player here that um, I probably have my highest exposure to. Um, I can't, I can't remember. Like I was just drafting in the Kings classic this weekend. I landed him in both leagues there. I feel like I've probably 
rostered him in like legitimately 80 to 90 percent of of my drafts because i just value him in a very different place he was not only was he a top eight fantasy running back last year he like he was uh, it was a flawless season right like he did what did he what did he do wrong um and i just i just don't generally expect teams um and we could say the same of aaron jones i suppose like when something works spectacularly well i don't I don't expect a team to go away from it unless um, it fails repeatedly the next season. I mean, he was super efficient, five yards per carry. Um, he just lived in the end zone, 15 touchdowns, 15 touchdowns. It felt like every, like they rarely threw to him, but it felt like every time they did, it ended in the end zone. Um, and the, the only reason that his, uh, that his raw total of, of carries wasn't higher uh, before he developed some injury issues is that they kept blowing people out, right? Like they had like five games where everybody sat um, in the, in the fourth quarter or near the end. Um, Yeah. I like, I'm just my, my rank on him. I think I have him at like RB 12, which even feels low because I think he can pick up right where he left off. I don't think he's cooked. Um, There's nothing in his season last year other than the very late injury that should make us uh, feel down on him in any way. And we we know that if they ever if they ever do become an offense that throws heavily to running backs, um, he's a he's a prime candidate for that. I think they I I like Dobbins, too, but I think they drafted Dobbins as a as a running back of the future, knowing that Ingram going to be on the wrong side of 30, um, maybe not somebody that you want to sign to a a subsequent contract. But I, I see no reason why they wouldn't ride Ingram really hard this year. Yeah, it's, he's in the second year of his three-year deal. Um, he, he played fantastic last year, as you mentioned. I just don't know. I don't understand the. I mean, I saw Dobbins go ahead of Ingram once in one draft, and I was just—it doesn't make sense to me. But I'm always on the side of the veteran as a forty, soon to be forty-seven-year-old man. <laughs> um, so, moving on to another vet that's hanging on, I think by you know by his fingernails, I guess at this point is Marlon Mack. Um, he was never really used on third down last year. I mean, he did a, a bit. I mean, I think he's a better pass catcher than the Colts give him you know, credit for. But they're still calling him the starter, but you have Jonathan Taylor waiting in the wings. Comparing this to maybe the, the Baltimore backfield, um, how long is Mack going to be a 10 to 15 carry guy in this offense? Yeah, Mack is not exactly coming off the season that Mark Ingram is. Like, right. Mark Ingram was absolutely flawless last year, and Mark Ingram, er, and Marlon Mack was was fine <laughs> he's, he's fine he's running behind uh per, you know perhaps the best offensive line in the game I, I i would want someone like jonathan taylor behind that line because if you if you figure that that group you know one out of every eight plays is just gonna is just gonna force open a mile wide rushing lane with jonathan taylor that that can become you know a 40 yard game it can become a house call from anywhere on the field and i, I don't like i think marlon Mack's fine but he, he's not that guy Right. Like he's not that run away from your entire defense guy. He doesn't have track speed. He's not, you know, I think I think sooner or later, probably probably in September, this uh, this backfield is uh, no worse than a 50 50 split. And as the season rolls on, I I find it hard to imagine that Jonathan Taylor isn't going to isn't going to take over the early downs. And you couldn't get uh, Taylor as your third running. If you go running back heavy at the start and grab two in the first three rounds, you can usually get Taylor in the fourth round uh, in drafts these days. So not bad there. Ingram, back to Ingram there. He's my primary target in the fifth round if I only have one running back on the roster because I want somebody that's going to start the season strong and 
um, he's I think he's going to um, in that offense and given what he did last year. So a couple I'll, I'll just around. say I think he's an absolute gift to um, zero RB drafters like he, mm-hmm. Mark, Mark Ingram's ADP alone has made zero RB like a, a totally viable strategy anywhere this year because it's just wrong. Yeah, you can start with four receivers if you want or three receivers and a tight end and then grab Ingram as your RB1. That's not a bad play either, although I, I see some of these zero RB drafts and I, I think people are insane. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, Raheem Mostert, uh, a lot of discussion about him as the uh, – not he's not the starter though, is he? I think we're going to see Tevin Coleman starting. Um, Raheem Mostert just looked a lot better last year. Coleman uh, did was dealing with a, a foot injury, I believe, and um, was slowed by that, but – He's going 601. Um, Mostert is. I see people on both sides of the fence here. Where do you stand with Mostert? Well, my, I mean, my thing is, and we, we were talking about it earlier, how those first, you know, five rounds or so, you want to make sure that you're that you're drafting for floor and you're you're getting reliable, bankable starters. When we hit the sixth, seventh round, um, I I just want to look for guys that could potentially be league winners because I mean. Like we know in fantasy football, you're going to you're going to churn if you're an active owner, if you're a responsible owner, if you're a winning owner, you're going to churn through a lot of your roster like these aren't all going to be hits, Um, but you should be taking big swings. And Raheem Mostert is a like everything falls into place for Raheem Mostert and everything breaks right. He's a he's he's a top 10 fantasy running back. No question about it. It's a it's a team that wants to run all day, that is capable of running all day. Um, It's just built for it. And if he seizes even like 65% of the backfield touches, he's, he's going to be an absolute monster. He's a, he's a burner, highly skilled, um, played huge in the biggest moments for them last season. Uh, like this to me is kind of the, it's kind of the, the, the Will Fuller of picks that you should be making in this range. That once we get past the first five rounds, you should be looking for guys like this. You should be looking for guys like Fuller, players who can just be, um, you know, huge sources of profit for you. He carried the ball at least 10 times in the final eight games. He averaged 14.6 touches for 99 total yards, 1.5 touchdowns per game. That includes a postseason. Um, It is interesting that I think the fantasy community is just like, okay, yeah, Tevin Coleman's a starter, but Mostert has the most value, um, <laughs> so it's that's just kind of where we are with him. I I am not looking for a running back in the sixth round, but uh, I have no problem with this ADP or you know drafting him. I like him a little bit better in best ball because you don't have to worry about when to start yeah. him. Uh, that's like the one caveat there. Nick Chubb, um, he's kind of like Aaron Jones in that his uh, ADP is in the second round for the, you know because he's got a back a good backup on the team and uh, Cream Hunt. I think we can all agree is a good player. Um, I see some Chubb slander. Uh, I think he's an f- amazing runner. We don't really know what Kevin Stefanski is going to do with this offense. I mean, they could go extremely run heavy, in which case Chubb's going to be fine in the second round. They could. He he might have been doing that because Mike Zimmer made him go super run heavy, and he wanted to be the offensive coordinator and call yeah. plays, so he did it. Um, and we don't know how Stefanski feels about Chubb versus Hunt. Um, they didn't really split the backfield in Minnesota. How do you see this uh, shaking out in Cleveland? Um, you know, I, I think you really, I think you described the situation very well. Uh, I would expect it to be somewhat run heavy enough to support both of these backs because they are both very, very good backs. Um, I I think Nick Chubb is just like a thrilling runner. He's one, he's one of my favorite players. He's one of my favorite backs to watch in the entire league. Um, I think he, like, I think Kareem Hunt's really good. I think Chubb is a, is a different level and 
sometime down the road, Nick Chubb is going to win a rushing title. I just, I, I find it really hard to believe he won't. Um, I am increasingly of the mind that it won't be this year. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine that Kareem Hunt's not going to have a significant role. He was a, you know, it, he carved out great value at following a two month suspension last year, right? Like he's, he's clearly going to be a primary pass catcher for him. I expect them to throw to the running backs uh, a fair amount and get, uh, get Baker Mayfield some sort of cheap and easy completions. Uh, it, it's, it's trouble for Chubb. Like in, in a standard league, even a, even in a half PPR league, you can feel a little bit better about him, but you know, as we drift into full PPR, not my favorite, but as we drift into full PPR, um, he, he's certainly not a turn player for me. He's somebody that I wouldn't really consider until the the back end of the second round. Yeah, I took him in the middle of the second. Like he was the last of that those top fourteen running backs before you get to that Gurley, Carson, DJ Bell type tier, which is where uh, I don't want to shop for the most part. I don't want to be shopping there either. Yeah, <laughs> so I. Uh, having getting Chubb at RB fourteen, I was fine with. Um, there's a there's that weird hole to me at the end of the second round, at the start of the third round. I think running, I think receivers so deep. I don't want to take <clears throat> receivers there. A lot of the running backs that are there, I don't want. Um, so you know, I'm trying to get one of these top, or trying to get two of these top fourteen running backs, and then maybe a Mark Andrews or maybe an Allen Robinson if if it has to be that way, or even I might take a Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson at that point in the draft, because uh, I'm just not thrilled about the, the, the talent available, like the early third round. I don't want to take these players there. Um, so it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And I usually go late quarterback, but late round quarterback, but um, this is one of those years where I'm just like, well, do I want to take Todd Gurley at 302 <laughs> on the board? I mean, yeah, I've done it. I don't want to do it. I always feel dirty. Um, <laughs> to, you know, to that point, I just I just wrote this like quarterback position preview at Yahoo um, should should be up. I don't know Tuesday uh, at some point, and like it's it gets increasingly hard to I gotta say to to argue like we we all sort of understand the late round quarterback argument, and certainly the position itself is just filthy deep this year. It's crazy, um, and in a single quarterback league, there's you got nothing to worry about if you happen to miss on the early round guys, but. Um, Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are both like under 25 years old and have literally delivered the, the two highest scoring seasons in the history of the position. Right. So, um, it's, we, it's fine if we call those career years, but they're kids, they're children, right? Like they're, they were, you know, Lamar's 23 and Mahomes is 24. And I, I would hate to say that, yeah, they've already seen their career years. Like perhaps they haven't, um, I, I got no problem with either of those guys in the third round. I'm going to apologize for my dog barking. The pool guy's here early, and um, <laughs> so that might happen. Um, I'm going to go on mute whenever Andy's talking. The only thing, I, other note, the other thing I'd note on Chubb is that his touches went from 22.4 without Hunt to 19.4 with Hunt. So he still had significant major role RB1 touches. Um, the it's just that all the touches that went away were were catches, right? So catches, if you're in any yeah. sort so of PPR, PPR yeah. yeah. And he also his touchdowns dropped. He he scored 0.25 touchdowns per game, um, and that wasn't. I was looking at his carries and things, and it wasn't really anything relative to his usage uh, in the red zone or in inside the five. It was just he had, he had like a weird drop in touchdowns. So that's not something that was expected or predictable. And you, you would think that those would come back, um, but yes, PPR. 
his targets dropped from four to two point three per game, and that actually does cut into his value in, in PPR and half PPR formats. Um, a lot of Ronald Jones talk, tons. <laughs> I've gotten involved in it. Uh, Patrick Crane and uh, Pete Overzet have embroiled me in this off-season debate about the Tampa backfield. He's apparently got huge calves. I think we learned that. <laughs> um, Bruce Arians is calling him now the guy and the main guy, and that to me, you know, means more than a tweet about somebody's calves. But or the trainer saying, "Yeah, we've been working on pass protection twice a week." Um, that was the other thing that came up. His pass protection was really bad last year, and that was one reason I didn't have him projected for a ton of touches because with Tom Brady back there, uh, if you can't pass protect, you're not going to be on the field. So yeah. I think we all know that – or not, I don't think we all know this, but Tom Brady is going to decide who the running back he's comfortable with in the backfield, and that may be Ronald Jones. It may be LeSean McCoy. It might be the rookie, uh, Kashawn Vaughn. It could be uh, Dari. Um, so – with that caveat, what what do you think about Jones? I, I saw him going in the fourth round in the FFPC, which seems very steep to me. I think fifth, if you're really a, you know, a stand for him, you could get, get him in the fifth. I think sixth is reasonable. Uh, he ran the ball well last year. Pass, block was, pass blocking was horrible. Uh, he was pretty good in the receiving game. What do you make of Jones? Yeah, a little bit of the problem here is that um, in, in the area of drafts where Ronald Jones typically goes, I'm – a hundred percent of the time I'm taking Mark Ingram or DeAndre Swift. Um, it's not that I think Jones is necessarily a bad bet. There there were plenty of times last season when Arians would say one thing about the usage we could expect from the backfield and then something else entirely would happen. Um, I think as as you say, Tom Brady is gonna dictate, you know, who sees the most snaps in this backfield. I think Jones is probably the best player, not maybe by a wide margin, but at least by some margin. I, I would like if you pin me down for a projection, it would look a lot like his 2019. <laughs> I'd give you just over a thousand scrimmage yards and maybe a half dozen, maybe eight touchdowns. If there's a little bit of growth here, it's eleven hundred scrimmage yards and eight touchdowns instead of a thousand and six. Um, I, you know, I, I don't I don't think he has the path to a dominant fantasy season that like Mark Ingram does. So, I, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine ever taking Jones over Ingram, and they go in around the same spot. I agree with that. Um, I, I've gone to where I, I'm just not having Jones on any of my teams to where I occasionally get him when he slips you know, further. I have him in the eighth round in one draft, uh, one team. So I will take him when he's available. Uh, when, when before, I would have gone with Vaughn, but I think the COVID list was a big thing for him. And then the signing yeah. of uh, LaShawn McCoy. And I don't think LaShawn McCoy is washed either. I think it was 4.5 yards per carry last year. He got benched, but it when you you know watch him and Damian Williams play, there wasn't like a giant difference in terms of rushing talent or anything like that. And he's a great pass blocker, so he might be that yeah. guy that, that Brady trusts as like the James White of this offense. So we shall see. It's one of the more compelling um, – backfields yeah like if that team makes a deep playoff run it's not going to happen because of what ronald jones does or Lashawn mccoy does or whatever they just have to not get in the way and they have to you know make sure that they're pass blocking well for brady uh rookie in washington who's i would say the the uh, backfield opened up uh like the red <laughs> sea for him with darius Geis being cut uh is antonio gibson there are 
players that are going to you know certainly impact his role there in terms of total touches. If Adrian Peterson, Peyton Barber, um, Bryce Love is in the mix. Um, Gibson is not a natural running back uh, as far as what he's been you know where he's been playing his career. He just uh, when he has rushed the ball, it's been amazing. Um, he can catch the ball. Uh, he played basically played wide receiver last year in college and. Uh, but when he did carry the ball, he's like this 220-pound, he looks like, I don't know, he looks like Adrian Peterson, like, size-wise. Um, so how do they utilize him best as a rookie? I see him now going in the 6th, 7th round. Um, what, do you, what are you looking for? Uh, touches per game maybe in September and then maybe touches per game in, in December. Yeah, I, I got to say that. To me, this is just a crazy price. And um, the only... The, the only leagues in which I have any Antonio Gibson were best ball leagues that feel now like they were drafted a million years ago. Right. And it was right around the time that, I mean, they, the team just did him no favors by dropping a, a, a casual Christian McCaffrey comp. <laughs> like, the, like, even though it wasn't, even though, you know, Ron didn't directly say, Oh yeah, he's basically Christian. That's not what he said, he, but it, but he did throw out McCaffrey's name in comparison to Gibson, which is just ludicrous because Gibson, there's like nobody should have any reasonable expectation that Antonio Gibson can can pass protect in the NFL. He's he's barely run. He barely ran the ball in college. He he had 33 carries in college and no doubt spectacular results on those 33 carries for a, you know, non power five team that often produces crazy numbers um, like there, there's no way this guy is going to dominate backfield touches in a backfield that has Adrian Peterson. And I, and that's like a boring answer, but they, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to give a ton of touches to, to Gibson over Peterson, you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to wave Peterson. Like that, that's just going to be, that's just going to be bizarre. Um, I, I think there's a better chance that Bryce Love breaks out as a ball carrier than there is Antonio Gibson. And I don't even mean that as disrespectful to Gibson because I mean, he's barely a running back. He's he has barely any experience there, and there's no way he's going to be able to pass protect at the NFL level. I think his best path to value is actually a lot of usage, maybe as a slot receiver. Um, I certainly think he can be on the field at the same time as other running backs because you can split him out wide. Um, and uh, like, I think that's how he might carve out value. But touches per week, I don't know, four, five. I don't. Okay. It, it ain't fifteen. Yeah, I was thinking maybe a, like a Chris Thompson role where he's getting three to five, yeah. three to five rece- receptions, and and maybe he does carry the ball um, four or five times a game, and you end up with ten or eleven really high yield uh, touches because he's um, getting so many catches, and he probably is going to break some <laughs> for scores. He's watching him run was pretty interesting. Uh, I agree though that the you know expecting fifteen to twenty touches for him on a weekly basis is not realistic and trying to project this project this uh, backfield is fairly difficult but I think it's I'm ending up with Peterson a lot uh, I think I have him ranked at a point where nobody else is really drafting him so I ended up and it's kind of you know it's a, it's a classic Paulson pick where I'm just drafting <laughs> bor- you know boring veteran production like Larry Fitzgerald or Emmanuel Sanders or uh, or somebody like Peterson where he probably is going to be the lead back I mean they did bring in Barber uh, but I think Peterson's better than Barber at this point. Uh, and then you had like the, the wild card of Bryce Love. But I mean, Peterson's still Adrian Peterson. Yeah. Um, 
He was still fine. Is. He was fine last year, like four point three yards per carry. He was fine. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't yeah. a problem. Like he's not the reason they lost games. And he's a guy that he that can carry the load and you know get fifteen to seventeen carries a game. So um, he's a good value, and I, I don't I don't hate Gibson um, seventh eighth round, but getting into the sixth, and um, yeah, it's it's pricey at that point. So we are going to talk some uh, receiver narratives. Uh, after the whispered from our sponsor. Hey guys, if you're tired of taking a straight razor to your bean bag and having it look like a scene out of a horror show, listen up. Manscaped has you covered. They're the best in men's below the belt grooming. They just redesigned their electric trimmer. It's called the Lawnmower 3.0, and the Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months on this bad boy. They've perfected it. Trust me, I've used it. Nice, close, comfortable shave. The thing even has an LED light. It illuminates the grooming area so you can see what you're doing. We've all been there before. We're trying to clean things up a little bit, and it winds up being a bit of a disaster because, again, you're dealing with a straight razor to the old Huevos Rancheros, you know what I mean? So stop with the dangerous weapons on your family jewels and try Manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at Manscaped.com. Again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code TMAP. Check out the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. All right, we're back, and I want to talk receivers. We did we did touch on Keenan Allen early in the in the pod. That was just to get you hooked. We got DeAndre Hopkins, Stefan Diggs in their primes, which is rare for a receiver to in their prime go to a new team. I have done studied this in the past, and teams uh, receivers that change teams tend to not pl- you know perform as well, produce as much. Uh, I think it's like an eight percent drop in per game of, uh, production, unless they're getting a quarterback upgrade or a uh, upgrade in role or you know a lot more targets. So Hopkins going to Arizona, Diggs going to Buffalo, Hopkins going in the second round right now, uh, Diggs going in maybe the fifth sixth. How do you feel about these prices with these two players? Um, the short answer with Diggs is I, I just think his quarterback is terrible. Um, and it's a it's a horrible landing spot. Like Josh Allen's going to be fine for fantasy because he will probably, again, run for eight touchdowns. But I, I don't think he's an NFL level passer. And Diggs is such a technician and, and is such a wonderful route runner and a great receiver. And it's just uh, it's a it's a it's a bad landing spot in my view. Like I, I almost said this earlier with Tyrod, like I would like the bills a whole lot better right now with, uh, with Tyrod at quarterback than with Josh Allen at quarterback. And he seems like a really likable kid, but um, he's, he's turnover prone and he was in college as well. He was not a joy to watch in college. Um, Strong arm um, that doesn't always know where the ball is going and is, is prone to making two or three just head scratching, you know, um, game butchering mistakes each each week. I, like I hate the landing spot for Stefan Diggs for a, a player who's who's extremely likable. So I I don't have him anywhere. I can't imagine getting him anywhere. I mean, at, at some price, uh, I guess we would take everyone theoretically, but I don't even know what that price would be for Diggs. I I'm I'm pretty out on the on the Buffalo passing game. I've heard the arguments that Diggs can fix Josh Allen, particularly like on the deep throws and all that, where. Allen, despite his arm strength, is actually terrible, um, and and maybe some of that is true, but that's that's asking a lot of a of a receiver to um, help resuscitate a, a a quarterback like that. So, I 
Uh, yeah, he's going to struggle because everybody who catches passes from Josh Allen should struggle. Um, you know, John John Brown had kind of a miracle year last year. That was as that was as much as we can expect from any receiver, I think, tied to to Josh Allen, unless Josh Allen makes makes the sort of leap that I don't know. We we never saw that ability in college, and I don't think we're going to see it in the pros. So I'm obviously I'm pessimistic on Stephon Diggs. Um, <laughs> okay, DeAndre Hopkins, in in my view, is one of the five best receivers in football. Um, maybe the best hands in football. Uh, like I, I'm not worried about him. I, I have obviously a lot of faith in Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. I think one of the things that you like about Arizona is that very little has changed except for the introduction of this massive talent. Um, and, and I think it's going to work out. Like I think, I think on target volume alone, um, he, he's not going to be able to have a particularly bad season, right? Like I still, I think he's going to see 130 plus targets. Um, it might not be a career year for Deandre Hopkins, but he has, he has survived some very difficult quarterback situations before. And this is a pretty good one. Um, and I think he's going to an offense that's going to, you know, play fast and put the ball in the air a lot. And I think he's the unrivaled number one there. And, and I think it's a good year for him. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't have any issue with a, with a second round price tag on him. Um, again, I, I want nothing to do with Diggs. <laughs> okay. Now I mentioned that I, I don't uh, think Josh Allen is good because I don't think he's good. Uh, well, I've two people that I respect you, you, you and, uh, you're on very different, different side than TJ Hernandez, who looked at some of the accuracy stats on Josh Allen and he, his, his accuracy was right there with Lamar Jackson, uh, in a lot of the levels. And the difference between the two last year was obviously deep ball um, completions and touchdowns, and that's kind of a high variance play. So I can understand both arguments. I, I am I'm getting a lot of digs because I think I have him ranked a couple spots higher than uh, where people are willing to draft him, and um, so I end up with him as my best option, uh, maybe in the sixth or seventh round. Uh, I think that's fair for him. But the the thing that I have not studied, I have studied receivers going from team to team, but I haven't studied um, how a great receiver like a Hopkins or a Diggs affects the quarterback. And, you know, you mentioned the case that he's going to fix Josh Allen. I don't know if he's going to fix him, but, you know, I could definitely see a a situation where Josh Allen's accuracy rises a few points and there's more completions. And I think think the the Bills are signaling with their, you know, Cole Beasley. Um, They drafted Dawson Knox. They signed John Brown. They traded for... uh, Stefan Diggs. I think they're signaling that they don't want to be a ground and pound type offense. I think they want to throw the ball a little bit more and maybe there is a bigger passing pie there that when we're kind of, uh, this is what just seems, seems to me like maybe an overreaction to uh, the off season happening in the landing spot. I mean, my initial reaction was, yes, this is a terrible landing spot for Diggs, but then you think about what the bills are doing, how good Diggs is. And, you know, maybe, maybe Josh Allen has a little more in him, but I, that's, I guess that's whether or not you believe in, his ability to improve versus not believe that. And I think you're on definitely on the not believing he's going to <laughs> improve uh, offense. But the, um, that's interesting to hear that you're compl- like basically out on the, the Bills passing offense after hearing um, TJ Hernandez in my Slack channel um, talking about Bill, uh, Josh Allen and the Bills nonstop. So that's like two little, like a devil and an angel on my shoulder. <laughs> uh, let's move on to, we talked about Philip Rivers changing teams and he's now in Indy and I think we're looking at a, a you know a situation where the the passing game pie grows quite a bit in Indianapolis um, compared to what they had with Jacoby Brissett 
and I'm I'm bullish on T.Y. Hilton. I know he's getting a little bit long in the tooth, but uh, still in a receiver, you know, wide receiver prime. Um, do you think he's going to post like high end uh, wide receiver two numbers with uh, with Rivers at quarterback? Yeah, man, I think it's a great pairing of of receiver and quarterback. Uh, yes, would be the short answer. I think T.Y. Hilton can definitely bounce back. Um, the obviously the issue with with T.Y. is going to be is going to be health, and I would have given you an even more enthusiastic answer uh, a couple weeks ago before T.Y. had yet had like the 19th hamstring issue of his, of his career. I mean, that's a, that's a concern. It's going to be an ongoing concern, but I, I just think it's a, it's a fantastic pairing between, uh, between players here. I, I, I think his setup is certainly 1100 yards, seven touchdowns, something like that. If healthy, um, I, obviously rivers isn't a, isn't a perfect passer and he will, he will put the ball up for, up for grabs from time to time, but that, that hardly means a thing to his receivers. I mean, he's a, he's a little bit of a chucker and we, we kind of like that. I, I like, I like a lot of elements of this, uh, of this receiving core. I like, uh, I like Paris Campbell a lot too. Um, but I think, uh, I, I really think Hilton is in for a bounce back year. Yeah. They were talking up, uh, Campbell, uh, last summer and he just struggled with injuries all year. Uh, they also have Michael Pittman who appears that he'll play quite a bit as well. So that might be your three, three receiver set there. And Jack Doyle, um, dirt cheap. Uh, Eric Ebron's gone, and as we know, Philip Rivers is a tight end enthusiast. Yeah. Uh, from his days with the uh, Antonio Gates and Hunter Henry there in uh, L.A. and San Diego. So, how about AJ Green? I know he had a little scare yesterday. We don't know the extent of it, or at least I didn't know as I started recording this podcast. Um, you know, if he's AJ, I mean, he's going sixth, seventh round. Uh, if he's ninety percent of what he was, and he's got a new quarterback there, he, he's that's he's going to be a good value there. What do you make of AJ Green? Yeah, you. It's funny you actually just threw out the the percentage that I was going to drop as well. If he's seriously, if he's ninety percent of vintage AJ Green, which I don't think is a, a crazy thing to to expect, you know, like we forget maybe because vintage AJ Green also played at the same time as like Calvin Johnson and Prime Julio Jones and uh, you know Antonio Brown guys who were. Uh, maybe a notch above but he was still like this this is a guy with multiple top five positional finishes on his resume i think the first i don't know six seven years of his career he was a pro bowl receiver he was good in 2018 um i i, I see no reason why aj green if he's simply and obviously health the big question mark he didn't play a game last year um and then and then just did something to a hamstring yesterday which no small concern um I think Joe Burrow can be great. I actually not to put the, not to go off on a on a non green tangent here, but I think like I don't know what what are the odds that Joe Burrow outperforms Josh Allen this year in fantasy? I would say they're pretty good because Joe Burrow is a pretty good running quarterback as well, has exceptional weapons and does not have the kind of defense behind him that uh, that Allen does. Like he's going to be he's going to be heaving it all year in a normal off season. I've said this before, in a normal offseason, I would definitely bet Joe Burrow to um, break Andrew Luck's rookie passing yardage record. I think that's very much in play. It's it's extremely unusual for a number one overall pick quarterback to come into a situation that is as ripe as the the one in Cincinnati, where you've got Green, you've got Boyd, you've got Mixon, you've got all this talent on the field, um, and, and you're going to have to put up numbers to stay ahead of your defense. So. Uh, yeah, I th- like if I'm getting AJ Green as a as a low end wide receiver two or a sort of middle wide receiver two, I'm happy to take it because he's somebody that I know can dramatically outperform that. 
Yeah, Burroughs, Burroughs going, I'm getting a lot of him because he's going QB 19, QB 22. Um, I'm getting, you know, in super flex leagues, getting a lot of him. Uh, I, he, he just comes in with a great college profile. Uh, I have a um, uh, regression uh, system that I use to start with, to get starting numbers for rookies, and he just comes in, ranks very high in, in many of the metrics, and I think he's, and you, you mentioned it, the uh, rushing uh, floor as well. Like I'm expecting 18 to 20 rushing yards per game too. Yeah. So, and they push the pace. They they want to be pass heavy, uh, and they have a bad defense. It's like all lining up yep. uh, for for Joe Burrow in this offense. So uh, I agree with that. Uh, we can go over this one quick. I'm not getting any Kenny Kenny Galladay in the third round because and I don't mind him going there. Um, I just pass on him because I want Marvin Jones in the eighth round or ninth round. Um, what do you make of this disparity in ADP relative to how the two players have produced, uh, you know, with Matthew Stafford over the last couple? Yeah, of seasons? I'm I'm totally with you. the The split is the split is weird. Marvin Jones was pretty good last year. Um, Thirteen games, almost 800 yards, nine touchdowns. Um, Stafford himself, through half a season, was on pace for 5,000 yards, and he's finally being used the way you would think that the guy with the best arm in the game perhaps should be used, right? Like. A lot of deep stuff, um, a lot of stuff that, that would seem very suitable to Marvin Jones's game. Um, I think Jones is a much better value in the eighth than Galladay is in round three. I think they're both really good players, but in terms of, of like real-life ability, I think they are much closer than uh, than what their fantasy prices would, uh, would reflect. I, I think the right answer here is Jones in the eighth versus Galladay in the third. Yeah, 23 games with Stafford over the last two seasons. They're se- these two are separated by 0.5 points per game in PPR <laughs> scoring. So, yeah. I mean, yes, I think in theory, Galladay is the ascending player and maybe could make that leap to complete stud. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a five-round discount, six-round discount on Jones, I just, I, I don't know. I don't think I want both of the receivers, so I end up just skipping yeah. on Galladay and taking Allen Robinson or somebody. Um, this is... This Houston situation. <laughs> Let's talk about the Texans. Um, they, you know, we were talking about DeAndre Hopkins going to the uh, the Cardinals, and you, you have like 130 targets is being added somehow added to this offense, and how who who's giving up, you know, work. And in, in the case of the Texans, uh, Brandon Cooks, they make the Brandon Cooks trade. They sign Randall Cobb to a big deal, like a big contract. Um, you still have Kenny Stills there. You still have Wolf Fuller there. Wolf Fuller, you mentioned him earlier as a very high upside middle round pick. If he can play 14 games, uh, you know certainly wide receiver one numbers are in his realm of possibility. Just taking it into account the injury history of Cooks and Fuller, who do you think leads this team in targets? Like who's the best bet to lead this team in targets? <sighs> yeah, man. Of of all the off seasons to reshuffle everything in the way they have, man, they they really picked the wrong one, right? Like this reminds me a little bit of the the year there was that year that Houston brought in Osweiler and was it did they bring in Lamar Smith the same year and they maybe two new linemen, a couple new receivers. Like you just can't there's only so much that you can change in even a normal off season and expect it to work. And in this one, when nobody's been able to get together until very recently, like 
this, this is too much new stuff for me between between David Johnson and Cooks and, and Cobb. And it's just it's too much new stuff. I have a lot of hope for it. Like, I love Deshaun Watson in a parallel universe. He's quarterbacking the Bears right now, and I'm perfectly happy. Um, like he was he was my guy. Um, I, I, I think he's a wonderful quarterback who's probably going to win an MVP some year. And it's not going to be this year because um, there's there's just too many new things in Houston. Uh, all that said, uh, I still wouldn't even though I even though I'm drafting a bunch of Will Fuller. I mean, I'm not going to take him to like lead the team in targets or anything like that. The the guys who are that like probably the one player who's most bankable to play 14, 15 games is Randall Cobb. I could easily see Randall Cobb leading the team in targets. That is the correct answer. Yeah. That was what I was going to say, so I'm going to call that the correct answer. <laughs> um, just because he's probably going to be more durable, and uh, they, Deshaun Watson does like to throw the ball to the slot. He has always uh, liked to throw it um, to guys like uh, who was the slot receiver? DeAndre Carter, Kiki <laughs> QT, yeah. right? Like these guys end up go. They start the game. They end up with five or six targets. I mean, I could see Cobb with. You know, eight or nine targets a game. If if one of Cobb or or one of uh, Cooks or Fuller is not playing, and you know, and I think Kenny Stills is actually a pretty good value in the final rounds. Uh, you know, with the likelihood that he's going to see expanded snaps at some point during the season, yep. um, his big playability, especially in best ball. Um, a lot of rookies uh, joining the league. This is one of the most heralded rookie receiving classes. Which rookie? And there, a lot of them are just joining great situations, which makes sense. What, which rookie do you think should be the first one off the board? They're not going very early. Those these rookies, not like the running backs. But where do you think the the, the top rookie should be going, and who is? Yeah, it? we have we have a handful of guys who are just stepping into situations where there is such a clear opportunity. Um, I don't like I don't I don't have Justin Jefferson as my uh, like in this draft class. He was not necessarily my favorite guy. I like him. Um, but I think he's just walking into a situation where it wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he saw 110 targets, 120 targets, like they need him. They, they need him immediately. Um, it's, it's a 30 year old Adam Thielen coming off injury and nobody else of note, you know, they got the, they got the tight ends. They'll throw to the backs a little bit, but they need Jefferson to, to occupy a, a pretty significant role. So he is by like one spot. Um, my top rookie at the moment, I've got him just ahead of. Henry Ruggs, who I think has a lot more variance, but I just love the idea of a guy with four-two speed uh, out of the slot. They they drafted him really early. They got to get some usage out of him, so I think he's exciting. And then you know, obviously, CD Lamb is a huge talent, and there's a bunch of vacated targets there. Um, I really liked T. Higgins, and had T. Higgins landed in Green Bay, which I suspect you would have been okay with, um, he would have been very high on my list. But uh, obviously, he's kind of buried in Cincinnati right now. Um, and, and then the other name you want to throw out there is Jerry Judy, who, you, you know, like this is a weird, this is a weird off season. Obviously we're not going to get a preseason at all. We're not going to have any opportunity to see these guys until the games count. Um, so we're, we have to really hang our hat on, you know, the things that get said during training camp. And it means a lot when I hear Kareem Jackson say that he's never seen somebody come in and out of his breaks like Jerry Judy does. <laughs> like, like that's a, like that's a player. That's a, that's a player who's sharing the field with him saying, Oh, um, wow uh this rookie is something else like i i think that you know denver's done all they can for for drew lock and if he if he's not good in the next couple of years it, it is not going to be the fault of of what they put around him i think drew, judy could be really exciting as well but anyway that's a very long way to say that i have justin jefferson barely ahead of the rest of them 
That's interesting, because I've got him amongst the rookies, and it's not because I don't like him, but uh, I have Lamb, and then I have Ayuk, because of what's going on with the uh, 49ers receiving core. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Rieger uh, in Philly, and then um, Judy, Ruggs, and Jefferson all together. Uh, you know, I have Jefferson for 55 catches, 800 yards, and five touchdowns, so that's not, there's nothing to, as they say, sneeze at. I feel like that uh, would be kind of, that. like, if that's all they get out of him, that's kind of a disaster for the Vikings, because I, I don't I don't know who else is getting catches there other than Thielen. And it might be that the, his targets are going to be higher than the typical Kubiak number two receiving option, because I look back at his number two receiver from 2012 to 2016. His wide receiver two averaged 105 targets uh, for the season, but in two of those seasons, it was Emmanuel Sanders. So I kind of, uh, you know, I didn't, yeah. I don't know if Jefferson's on that level. Uh, but I think he could see in that range of, you know, 90 to 105 targets, maybe more if, if um, Thielen can't stay healthy. Um, but, you know, this is just a, a really tough class to, to, to rank and to project with, with the offseason we're having and no, like, no reps, no <laughs> right, in game reps right. before the season. It's insane. Um, okay, moving on. Where are, where are we here? Uh, okay, Hayden Hurst. Let's just talk about the breakout tight ends. Uh, Hayden Hurst is probably going to break out with his uh, new job in Atlanta. You can talk about him if you want, but there's a, bu- a bunch of young guys that I like. Well, there's a bunch of young guys. I like some of them. So tell me who you like. Uh, Fant, Kasicki, uh, Hurst, uh, Hawkinson, who's got the ankle injury. Yeah. Uh, Janu Smith, Blake Jarwin, Chris Herndon, Ian Thomas, Irv Smith Jr., and Jace Sternberger. Um, which which one of these guys do you find yourself getting and why? Um, it's not quite on the level of my exposure to Mark Ingram, but I, I get Blake Jarwin all over the place. Um, I, I think... You know, there's not many tight ends in an average season who who see 100 targets, and it would surprise me if Blake Jarwin stayed healthy and, and didn't get there. Um, like, I think he has a pretty easy path to a top 10 positional finish, just on just on volume. Um, he had some, you know, pretty high yield catches last year. There are over 80 targets uh, from Jason Witten that are no longer on the on the team, and over 80 targets to Randall Cobb that are that are obviously gone as well. Some of those go to Ceedee Lamb. Maybe some get picked up by by a Michael Gallup, but a whole bunch of them are going to go to Jarwin, who already had a pretty significant workload last year. So if he just if he just scoops up 60 targets there, which I don't think is a huge ask. Um, then all of a sudden he is one of the most heavily targeted receivers in the NFL. So I, I think he's a he's a pretty easy guy to bet on. Um, I think at some point TJ Hawkinson is going to have a, a top five finish among the tight ends, but I don't think it's going to be this year. Like I, I, he's a wonderful athletic talent. He was a crazy good college player at Iowa, um, dominant Big Ten West tight end, um, but. You know he's still dealing with an injury that he suffered last year, and that's that's really not a good sign. Yeah, that's scary that he's still not one hundred percent yet after all this time off. Um, so I, I was not high on him just due to uh, the other receivers there, and uh, you know I thought his role wasn't really established with Stafford, um, and he had that huge game against Arizona, and everybody has huge games against Arizona. <laughs> didn't feel like he did much after that that doesn't mean he's not going to turn into a great tight end tight ends take a while to develop i think there's certain guys that are in better spots this year 
I love the Jarwin call. I saw somebody slandering him this morning on Twitter. I really need to stop using this website, Twitter. It, it makes me angry sometimes. <laughs> and I've noticed that the younger crew, I feel like the younger crew of fantasy analysts are more abrasive. They're like pretty confrontational. In, yeah. They, they, um... yeah. When I came in and I had an opinion, I would just say, this is my process and this is what I think. And then somebody like you would come in and say, well, I think this, and it's very polite and it's comfort, you know, it's, conversational and maybe we're learning from each other and then i see tweets like you know check your process you don't know you know why is jarwin and going like you know you're or if you if you don't like this player you haven't done your homework and it's just like yeah really? like like you're basically subtweeting anybody that has that player ranked high <laughs> and you're annoying like 15 people at least yeah. if not more but so Jarwin, I completely agree. I mean, this is one of the best offenses, best passing offenses in the league. I don't think Mike McCarthy is going to screw it up. Uh, you know, even even Mike McCarthy will keep this thing rolling. Uh, <laughs> Witten's gone, 80 targets, as you mentioned. Uh, Cobb gone, 80 targets. And I just saw you know Jarwin's stock take a dive once they drafted Lamb. And yes, it does hurt him uh, to a certain degree, but it doesn't kill him. It doesn't mean that he can't break out in this offense. There's plenty of room. Yeah in the passing game in this offense for Jarwin to, to outplay his whatever tight end 15, tight end 18 uh, ADP. I think he can definitely finish in the top 10. He gets six to eight touchdowns, uh, you know, 600 yards receiving. And, um, you know, he's he's a high yards per route run guy, and he's about to see a big jump in routes run. So I think he's uh, like that call. The other guys I would like to mention, I'm getting a lot of Jonu Smith, uh, and I'm getting Chris uh, Herndon and a lot of yeah, Ian Thomas, whose ADP is sticking. Like those guys, I think I'm getting them because I've got them ranked about the same or higher than Fant and Gasicki and Hawkinson, and those guys were going earlier. So, uh, you know, my guys would just slip, and then I would get them whatever tenth, eleventh, twelfth round. I don't know that I'm right. Like I think Fant's a great athlete. Gasicki runs a ton of routes and is a good athlete. I don't know that they're going to outscore these guys, but if I you know, a round or two discount, I'm happy. With Janu, Jarwin, uh, Herndon, and Ian Thomas at tight end, uh, let's. We got a couple more things to cover. We're running long. I appreciate you um, being so generous with your time, um, but I want to know what you think of Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett and this this notion that Higby's not not really the tight end one in in uh, in LA for the Rams. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think this one is I think this one is a is settled law, right? Like Higby was just too good over those over those final five games, like four straight games with a hundred receiving yards. Um, this one's, this one's over. And I, I appreciate people trying to make the case for Gerald Everett because I, I like his rookie preseason, I really thought he was going to be a thing. Um, and, and they've tried to make him a thing in uh, like Tyler Higby was dominant for a month and a half. <laughs> like, like, I think this one's, I think this one's over. They, they barely threw to the running back position last year and they were peppering Higby with targets and it worked. And again, I, I mean, I said this with Ingram, when a team finds something that works, spectacularly well I, I it's not my opinion that they would that they would veer away from it i, I think this is higby all day I'm, I'm not that interested in everett anymore are you getting higby or are you finding that you're waiting at that level with hunter henry higby tier evan ingram tier maybe uh passing on those guys because you like some of the yeah if i don't better. get the top three if i don't get um kelsey kittle or, or andrews um i end up with jarwin like i just i just wait you know always an hour of draft time and <laughs> just take jarwin <laughs> You pencil them in there in the whatever the twelfth yeah. round or whatever. Um, it's I do end up with some Waller and in the fifth because I don't think his targets are going to take as big a dive as, as they seem. Or the, the fantasy community seems to think they will. Jared Cook seems to be falling. He was the number one tight end over the last 
I don't know, week 10 to week 17 once Drew Brees got healthy. Um, I'm still mad the Packers let him go. Um, so I guess that's maybe a hate pick. Uh, <laughs> Man, that playoff catch, that's that you, playoff catch he made for Green Bay is like an all-timer. Oh, against Dallas. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was going to uh, resign. And he ended up, I think, wanting more money, but then he signed a deal with the Raiders for less money than what they offered him. It was a weird deal. Um, yeah, so there's lots of options as you get into the later rounds. So if you don't like... Like, I don't mind Higby. What is he going? The seventh, middle of the seventh round? Yeah. I don't mind him there, but I'm usually targeting a receiver there, I think, and um, not ending up with a lot of him there. Moving on to the... I think this is probably the one situation that keeps all of us uh, we fantasy analysts in business every year is the New backfield. <laughs> I think the amount of time that is spent um, discussing it every year uh, probably pays a lot of bills. And doesn't necessarily result in a lot of fantasy impact throughout the season, but it just seems like there's a couple of values here. I want to know what you think. Uh, I'll let you speak first, obviously. But you know, James White, the passing down back. What's going on with the with the rest of this backfield? What do you think? What do you yeah, think? James White is the bankable player here. I mean, it, it might very well be that the correct answer here is you can avoid it um, because they now have you know, assuming Cam Newton is their starting quarterback. They now have one of one of the greatest goal line runners of all time uh, <laughs> at quarterback, and like you know, the whole point of owning anybody in the in the New England backfield for years has been you, you know there was there was some upside if you could get that guy that would get the ball in goal to go situations, and there's a very good chance that's going to be that's going to be Cam Newton now. Um, so there, there's just fewer fantasy points to go around for a while there. Harris seemed like the right answer um, because Sony Michelle has just simply not been healthy. And it may, you know, we, we may have seen the healthiest version of Sony Michelle already that we will in his NFL career. Um, Miller also not healthy. So that doesn't really scare me. I mean, I think James White is the one guy with a bankable role that we can really count on Newton hitting early and often. And, and he's going to be fine. Like Burkhead's going to have a game where that, throws him into the pickups discussion, you know, on Monday morning and we're all like, Oh man, he's totally, that's totally going to happen. Yeah, totally gonna... I'm sure he's going to lead the pickups column that I write at least once in the, in the year. Like we're going to try to get excited about a new England back again. Um, but it's, but clearly it's not going to stick with him. They obviously see him as a rotational player. I think everybody on the team is, is no better than a rotational runner and cam is going to take all the touchdowns. So, I mean, it could be that the correct answer here is just James white. And then I'm out. I think that's a good point about Cam Newton, and that's not something that I factored in super heavily into my uh, decision making on this backfield. But because he is he has not run as much around the goal line as he had did earlier in the year, but I think that could come back. I mean, he's got a one year contract. I don't yeah. think they're going to be super careful with him. Like they're and and he's probably going to be pretty aggressive about having a bounce back season, and that probably results in a lot of um, rushing touchdowns for him. So that's a good point. I think that. The reason, only reason I brought this up and I like Burkhead a little bit is because I'm in these giant drafts where you're sitting there in the 26th round <laughs> and you're trying to find somebody that might have three or four good games, you know, and maybe in a best ball format. And I, I just feel like everybody's sleeping on uh, Burkhead in that situation because he did lead the team in snaps at the start of the year. And um, is he going to be a 20 carry guy? No, um, but he seems like he was ahead of Damian Harris or he was the head of Damian Harris last year. I don't think the Lamar Miller thing is really about a Burkhead. I think they're trying to 
cobble together a, a backfield like they do every year. And uh, it's usually the cheapest guy that uh, produces. But James White in PPR, seventh round, um, isn't like a no-brainer for me or anything like that. But he's fine. As my, if, I, if I need like an RB3 and I need something, like some guy that's going to get me 10 to 12 points as a, as a backup while I wait for Do- uh, Todd Gurley to heal, yeah. um, then then I think White's a guy that, that – probably has the the safest floor of this whole crew let's talk kickers i know you like <laughs> I kickers. Do love kickers you're a huge kicker advocate i like kickers too i don't i like it i like them because they are more predictable than people think and you can get an edge in your league if you have a you know kicker league so the, the whole the whole uh petition to get rid of kickers is just uh to me is not great yeah, my my thing so, my thing is that this is just another way that we can bet on offenses that we think are going to be like surprise good offenses, right? It's just like another way to yeah. to um, demonstrate our predictive knowledge of the league. And why would you want to get rid of that? And I would say too that fifty yard field goals, you know, that are worth five almost as much as a touchdown, uh, are really exciting plays, and that both against you and for you. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, you're playing against a guy who's lining up for a 52 yard field goal. I mean, it's exciting. Uh, you know, this is a, this is a, a, a play that could swing the swing your game. Now, maybe the argument is it shouldn't, <laughs> it shouldn't, it shouldn't swing your matchup, but, uh, you know, I like kickers. So anyway, let's get to the point. What, what kicker are you targeting? <laughs> like, is there a guy that is a no, that's like a no brainer for you? Uh, or is it, do you, do you go value or do you go? Stud? I, I actually often will take the luxury kicker. I'll be the guy who doesn't take it in the last round, um, but takes it in the second mm-hmm. to last round. So I can get Zerline or, or Butker. Like I will do that from time to time, depending on, depending on size of league and who I'm playing against and whether it's the sort of league like, where I feel like I should even take a kicker at all. Um, uh, this year, I like whoever's kicking for, um, Tampa Bay is going to be really interesting. I, you know, we would probably pencil in Matt Gay right now, but they, uh, there may be some competition for him. Um, I I think Mm -hmm. there's a clear path to Tampa Bay scoring a bunch of points. We talked about Brady earlier and they have one of the greatest collection of receivers that Brady has ever experienced since Moss and Welker. Um, So I I think that offense is going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a a boring, familiar name, but I think Matt Prater, somebody that, uh, you probably wouldn't be one of the first five kickers off the board. Again, we, we mentioned it was Stafford. Stafford was going to throw for 5,000 yards last year. He's going to throw for like 30 touchdowns. That was going to be a huge season. It was going to be a high scoring offense as long as, uh, as long as the quarterback stays healthy. And that's pretty good for kickers generally. I've, uh, I found that, you know, kickers for good offenses, it's good to go with them. I like the guy, I like the guys that are kicking indoors. So you got like, uh, young who, yeah. who, uh, as I say his name very carefully, <laughs> uh, Fairbairn. You know, we, we love talking about Fairbairn, uh, Houston Texans uh, kicker, another uh, guy drift, uh, kicking in a uh, dome. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned Zoroline. I, I think that he's a kind of a no-brainer, and he's probably going to go a little later than uh, some of these other guys like Butker and Tucker and Gould and Lutz and those guys. Um, you might be able to get Zoroline a little bit later because he's changed yep. teams and people aren't exactly sure where kickers are playing at these, you know, these days. A lot of guys go into the draft. They have no idea that Greg Zerline's a kicker for the for the Cowboys. Um, the other the other thing I, I wanted to ask you about that is, I've noticed, and this is very, I don't know what what the word is for it, but it's um, it's just a st- anecdotal. That's the word. 
uh, kickers who play for teams that can run the ball and move the ball, but they have quarter, suspect quarterback play, so they can't punch in the end zone. I feel like those teams, and for a long time, it was Justin Tucker kicking for the, for yeah. the Ravens. They were unable to score touchdowns, but they moved the ball up and down the field, and they would stall in the red zone or stall at the 30-yard line, and they would kick. Uh, you, you ever notice that? Like, uh, There's uh, there's also something kick. to be said for the the head coaches that are more inclined to kick the very short field goal that they should never kick. Right. Like, and that's a, a bit of a yeah. Bill O'Brien thing. And, and, you know, I don't have like a whole bunch of data in front of it. Obviously for a long time, it was a, it was a Mike McCarthy thing. Nobody, nobody kicked more like 19 <laughs> yard field goals than, than Mike McCarthy. Um, and I, I, maybe that's less true now. Um, yeah. People are going for it a little bit more on fourth down. Than they than they used to. But San Gonzalez, uh, Jason Myers, I think he's a, I think he's a Seattle yeah. kicker. So good, some good uh, some good kicker options out there. Thank you for uh, joining me on the pod. You, I believe you surpassed Matt Harmon last week in terms of total minutes. Yeah. Pod, so that's what I'm after. You're even more generous than Matt Harmon was, and we were planning on a 45 minute pod, so you get an extra half hour. Everyone so says that I'm more that. generous than Harmon. That's a widespread opinion. <laughs> So you can follow Andy on Twitter at Andy Barons, uh, and you really should follow him because I've, I'm almost caught up to him in followers. And that's not <laughs> that's not correct. That should not happen. I think that might be the first. Time I've I've chased some followers away over the last couple months. So <laughs> oh, yeah, I have to. Maybe I, I should bet. start doing that yeah. again. I hear you. Um, it, that's what it is. What it is. But uh, follow Andy on Twitter at Andy Barons. You could also find his work on uh, Yahoo, and uh, be sure to look for Force content over there as well. It's nice to have a partnership with uh, one of my favorite fantasy sites uh, from back in the day and uh, currently. So uh, Andy's a great writer, and um, you should always check out his work whenever it comes out. And um, we'll see you next time on 4 Most Accurate Podcast. Ain't nobody gonna judge me. Ain't nobody gonna judge me. Ain't nobody gonna judge me.